0: Hello and welcome to the Did You Know Crypto podcast. My name is Dustin, thanks for tuning in. Today I'm gonna be interviewing Murad Mamadov, a Bitcoin maximalist or a majoritarian as he would call himself. And we discussed a bunch of different topics from economics to decred, various other projects, and just kind of what is Bitcoin and what is the future of Bitcoin. I know you're gonna enjoy this as much as I did. So thanks for listening. But please, before you uh, listen any further, go on itunes leave us a rating and review go on our social platforms like share and just help spread the message so once again thanks for listening and enjoy the show Like to welcome Mirad Mamadov, cryptocurrency analyst, Bitcoin maximalist, and angel investor. Mirad, welcome to the show.
1: Uh, Hi, thanks for having me.
0: Now I know it's pretty cliche, uh, but I do ask you know, and I guess everyone asks every guest this, but uh, I do think it's important, especially for new people that are coming in, and to to see how others, and especially people that have a higher profile in the space, you know how they got into it. So how did uh, how did Bitcoin find you?
1: Yeah, so I did a year abroad in college when I was in China, and that was during the previous bubble, sort of a late 2013, early 2014. Um, really sort of got into Bitcoin then. A lot of my uh, like foreign friends, they because a lot of early Chinese exchanges still didn't have that much liquidity at that point in time. Um, some of my uh, Western friends were essentially bringing coins. From abroad into China and selling them at a small premium. And like I was sort of in those circles, attending some Beijing crypto meetups and things like that. So that's how I got in. Uh, Did a small break as many of us have in 2014, 2015. However, um, sort of once Ethereum came onto the scene, uh, I was sort of pretty early to that, spring 2016, and then have been here in the space, like increasingly more active ever since.
0: And uh, another question that I like to ask every guest, and I think it's probably the, the most important to really understand everybody's position uh, in the, you know, where they stand on Bitcoin is, is to you specifically, what is Bitcoin and how do you define it?
1: I think Bitcoin is many things uh, and it lends, it's, it's a very unique hybrid asset and a very unique hybrid multivariable, multidimensional phenomena. Uh very very unique point in time we find ourselves but Bitcoin um, is a Form of neo money as well as a new payment network all in one and so it's a revolution. It's a monetary revolution as well as a financial revolution uh, all in one and and sort of this synthesis uh, lends itself to a, a wide array of possibilities and analysis now you would consider yourself a Bitcoin maximalist, am I correct? Yes, yeah, so um personally, I am considering myself more of a Bitcoin majoritarian. I think without a doubt, uh Bitcoin is by far the most uh immutable, the most secure, the most irreversible, probably has the best uh quality of engineers working on it. Has the deepest infrastructure, deepest liquidity, deepest sellability volumes, and so all of these things, especially when working together, uh, will probably make Bitcoin still be number one for like many many years to come. However, I actually think that there will probably be at least for the next couple of decades, three or four uh, like store of value like assets and and, and cryptocurrencies, and so. Uh, I am a Bitcoin majoritarian, but I do like a couple of others as well.
0: I've heard you talk about uh uh decred as well as being one of them that you are somewhat favorable to that's out there
1: yeah, uh, I haven't talked about it in a while actually uh, if you don't mind me asking where have you heard where, where where have you heard that like on on twitter uh no, it wasn't on Twitter I think it was. Oh, gosh, I can't remember if it oh, was it's in... probably like Marty Bent's Tales from the Crypt. Yeah, I think it was with Marty Bent. Yeah. So I, I really like Decred and I, I am very contrarian here. A lot of Bitcoin maximalists disagree with me, but um, I think it's going to be like one of the top three coins. Uh, and right now it's like number 35 by size and uh, it doesn't even need to beat Bitcoin um, to like essentially grow tremendously. I just think it's like very, it's, a, it's an extremely mispriced asset. It's at around 120 million right now, which is like nothing. And in, in despite that fact, I think uh, like people will realize just how undervalued it is. And I think like a lot of investors, both, both institutional and retail will allocate to it more. I expect Decred to move from its position as number 35 to somewhere in the top five. And I think like, that's uh, I think that's like a very good trade. You'd actually said, and just to go back just a second,
0: that uh, you jumped back in, in 2016, when Ethereum kind of came around. What was it? I know that you've changed your mind on Ethereum, but w- was it something about it that, that drew you back in? Or was it just that it kind of popped back on your radar?
1: Yeah, um, some of my friends, like that was like before sort of the whole ICO mania. That was just sort of when Ethereum was getting off the ground. Uh, I believe that was April 2016. Uh, Some of my engineer friends back at Princeton, they really recommended sort of to look at the asset. I uh, bought some, essentially held it for the next couple of years. And um, once I started delving deeper, into the monetary economics and the valuation models and the value propositions of these blockchains, I've realized that um, really like at the risk of sounding crude, like store of value at the moment is like the only legitimate narrative. The way to think about cryptocurrencies right now, uh, more precisely is that they are, they are something like precious collectibles With the intrinsic qualities and potential to one day become a full-fledged money. And I think that, and I talk about this a lot, um, if you look at CoinMarketCap, the correct way to understand what it is, is it's a global, large, persistent prediction market um, where the market caps of these assets represent the world's perceived probability of them becoming uh, one of the top three stores of value slash monies of the future. And if you look at it from that point of view, I think that um, a lot of assets are wildly overvalued, even right now with most of them down 90 percent some of them down 95 96 percent. I still think they' are massively overvalued in that regard. Um, I think Bitcoin is undervalued because Bitcoin is by far the strongest most reliable chain. Um, to be completely frank at this very moment I'm only bullish on Bitcoin and decred So you uh, you're saying that
0: you're you're not a big fan of DentaCoin as being uh, the next global currency.
1: Definitely not. And I think I okay. really I really hope that um, I kind of hope that like 2019 gets even worse because I think that the industry will be stronger when a lot of these borderline scams die and people everywhere from the smartest institutional investor to the dumbest retail investor realizes that we don't need a, a separate coin for every like, app or for every little niche use case. Money is likely going to be winner-take-most, if not winner-take-all. And once the industry is back to pushing the handful of assets that actually do make sense, then this industry will thrive. This industry will be stronger with everybody uh, like behind the same projects rather than spread thin and all this sort of internal warfare.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you. I I think if you had asked me a year ago, oh maybe not a year ago, maybe like eighteen months ago, on my thoughts on you know utility tokens and all that, I would have I would have been a lot more open to the idea of well, you know, you go to here, you know, kind of based on the Disney dollar thesis of like, well, you go to Disney and you buy the Disney dollars, right? So there there is there are niches for these kind of like unique collectible, but also still used as some sort of medium of exchange, I guess, in these very unique properties. But now I, I've started to really realize uh, more and more how how unnecessary they are and how much added friction that they add to the space and to whatever niche that they are trying to fit. There's no reason to add more friction to go from a utility token to whatever else you're actually going to hold or spend You know later on. Something like a Brave uh, or a basic attention token, the Brave browser, I think, um, is a good example of where... I'm not totally against BAT per se, but I think that it does definitely add an unnecessary level of friction to it, where if they would have just adopted, you know, Bitcoin um, into that in the same way that like earn.com uses uh, Bitcoin for, for small transactions that it it would have been something that made a lot more sense than
1: trying to create their own token. I think the problem with, with the problem with engineers and people in Silicon Valley is that they don't understand uh, monetary economics that well? Um, the one of the number one problems in the space right now is that people approach these things from their learnings from the cloud era, from Web. Point two era, from the social media era, from um, like essentially all these like marketplaces and software platforms era. And when really, yes, cryptocurrencies and blockchains are money and software at the same time however if we're trying to build cryptocurrencies which are actual currencies then the monetary um criteria and the and the monetary aspects need to take precedence and that's why i think these things need to be like at the moment i think the most valid comparison is like digital monetary metals and people who have studied the history of silver and gold and even prior non-fiat money forms, these people will be able to understand what's going on on a much more precise level than those who um, have a good grasp of technology, but no grasp of economics or finance at all.
0: And I also think it's not just Silicon Valley as well. It's it's just the Western world. I don't think that um, other than maybe some small cases when you look at Greece or Italy to an extent or Cyprus... For the most part, uh, everyone who's living today has not experienced anything that's been too bad with their with their money. Um, they haven't really ever experienced bank runs. They haven't ever really experienced uh, you know any kind of massive inflation. But I, I think that that's something, or I don't think it is something that's a, that's a big problem in the third world. And there's nothing that inherently that's the magical dust sprinkled on the currencies of the of the Western world that keep that from not happening there other than the fact that they have a lot more control uh of of control of of central bank and world Bank policies to kind of keep their own afloat um, you know the United States dollar is, is is you know extremely strong um it's it's a it's a robust but it still has that same inherent flaw I just think that it's a it's a western issue where we don't see that it's not an it's not something we've ever been affected by. And if you haven't lived something, I think it's very difficult to understand why something like Bitcoin is so important. Where if you ask someone in Venezuela, you ask someone in Argentina, you ask someone in, in most third world countries that regularly experience this, they would immediately understand the importance of immutability of, of not having any central authority that can, can, that can control this money.
1: Well, it's not even just the third world. It's the second world as well. Like I am from uh, Russia and Azerbaijan and like I've lived across the post-Soviet space. I've lived in China. People, when I, when you talk to the people in China, when you talk to the people in Korea who have like heavy capital controls, uh, when you talk to the people in the Soviet realm where people can get their assets seized like at any given day, just randomly. um or if you talk to anyone who's ever had their bank account frozen, or a large transaction just censored, or something like that, they understand the incredible freedom and power that Bitcoin offers, uh, very quickly and very instinctively. But uh, like a lot of my like a lot of people in California you talk to, they they don't they don't get it. Like they don't they don't get what the point of it is. And one of the biggest flaws is looking at Bitcoin as merely a payments network, like people compare to PayPal and Visa and Western Union, etc. But really, the payment use case doesn't even matter as much as like the actual monetary unit, like the actual um, like gold-like nature of it, the actual unit of account. Um, it's it's that it's that thing which is the revolution now. Bitcoin offers uh, four to five revolutionary tools such as unprintability, um, unseizability, essentially uh, uninflatability, uh, uncensorability of transactions and a bunch of others. But in my opinion, the biggest revolution here is the 21 million dollar limit and uh, the 21 million Bitcoin limit and the Uh, credibility of monetary policy we've never had an object let alone a money as scarce as bitcoin before and really to me that will be sort of if you draw a pie chart of forces that are going to be driving this sort of revolution uh, it's the it's the scarcity uh, that it will account for the vast majority of it and that is the biggest revolution in my mind
0: I, yeah I think your your point on especially on the second world is is well taken it was um if I'm not mistaken uh, Mikhail kadarovsky um he was once Russia's richest man yeah. um um you know ran afoul uh, I mean basically he was speaking out against uh, the putin regime and and all of a sudden you know he was even though he was the richest man in Russia at the time was had his assets seized he was thrown in jail um uh, the same uh, happened in Saudi uh, recently, uh, a few years back when the when the new crown prince uh, took over, where when your currency, when your wealth is being held in institutions um, and denominated in um, in currencies that are controlled by world governments, it's very easy to be able to um, you know, take that money from them, to be able to seize that money. And Bitcoin does not allow you to do that. If you hold the private keys, right? There's a difference if it's held custodially. But um, I, I, given your your background um, coming coming from that region, I, I've always been kind of a, a little bit perplexed why why the um, Russian government has seemed to embrace per se seemingly more than a lot of Western
1: nations embrace the crypto economy. Yeah, well. The Russians know that the ruble will probably never become the global reserve currency, so they have much less to lose than um, Europe or America does. Uh, I mean, in the current monetary regime, the US dollar grants America and American banks tremendous amounts of power and seniorage. So if hyper-Bitcoinization was ever to happen, um, I believe that like at some point, Russia... And China might just say, "Look, we've had enough. Uh, let's find an apolitical source of uh, uh, apolitical currency, um, or as well as an apolitical settlement mechanism." So there's a there's a sort of a revolution going on on both fronts, on the actual monetary front, but also on a massive settlement. And that's why I tell people, Bitcoin isn't fighting against Visa or PayPal; it's fighting against It's competing against central banks, and it's competing against Bank of International Settlements, which is an institution, and as well as things like Fedwire and SWIFT, which are all the uh, essentially rails which settle massive, massive sort of transfers between large institutions and governments. And uh, any government which has such a monopoly on any given uh, payment rail as well as a monopoly on the actual money creation, money transmission, money production, um, can weaponize that, and like there's a lot of geopolitical component to this to these discussions. Bitcoin, really, it's similar to silver in the medieval ages in the sense that it is trustless money, and it is money of the enemies. You don't need to trust any kind of private uh, private system. You don't need to trust any kind of private bank. Or, or any kind of uh, sort of like IMF, World Bank, BIS, etc. And so in that sense, you can conduct global c- commerce without um, like trusting any kind of middleman or, or or your counterparty's government or or your counterparty's central bank or anything like that. And in, in that sense, I think it is a much more neutral money. And it, it, I think that all these things combined will essentially lead to like a renaissance of global trade and will finally get rid of all these like 200 local fiat currencies, which which really they are like local utility tokens. Mm -hmm. And the world doesn't need 200 currencies. The reason they exist is because obviously local authorities want to have tremendous amounts of like local power because think about it, money is usually the most, uh, in any given area, it's the most demanded good And just imagine the amount of power that somebody has when they can create the most desired product ad infinitum. That's that grants them infinite power. And I think that people will realize this. Well, people will also realize that Bitcoin is the strongest, hardest, most uncensorable, unstoppable, unseizable um, money product ever created. And so, um, because of this, I think more and more money will start flowing into this asset. First, speculatively, sure, but um, the bigger it becomes and the more it saturates its speculative dynamics, uh, the bigger it will become and the more liquid it will become um, in terms of becoming actual money. And one of the things is
0: kind of going off a little bit here, but uh, the... uh, you know, when we start talking about this far, you know, farther into the future, or maybe sooner would be nicer, but I I, I, I suspect that we're all a little bit impatient for, for the hyper Bitcoinization to happen. But uh, one of the things I've always thought is that with the way that exchanges work, right. Where you, where you're basically transferring, um, or they're mostly used, especially something like Coinbase is used to transfer fiat into, you know, whatever crypto that you're going to be buying. Um, Usually it's going to be Bitcoin and Ethereum or whatever right off the bat. And then people start to branch out into whatever, um, ho- you know, whatever pump that they're hoping to catch. But towards, you know, the the when you start to hit the point of no return, when, when central banks start to, and, you know, money managers, when um, um, endowment funds and all that, when they start to pull Bitcoin in there. And once the central banks start to realize that they're going to start to rapidly lose control as they're. The, the, the spending power, which is the real test, not the dollar value of Bitcoin, but what can you buy with it, right? Um, once that spending power starts to go down with their fiat currency and it starts to go up with Bitcoin or stay stable with Bitcoin, either way, they, w- what's to really stop them from going, okay, let's just start printing money? Um, and this is, I, I've always just been kind of a, a thought that I've had, so I'd, I'd love to hear what you have to say on this. Is What's to stop them from... In the short term, printing a bunch of money and buying as much Bitcoin as they can. I mean, I know overall, it, it you know, by by uh, by them doing that, they're signaling to the world that Bitcoin is better. But would that not possibly um,
1: be somewhat detrimental to space if they were doing that? Well, there's three things here. First of all, if they start printing a lot of money, definitionally, Bitcoin's price will go up relative to the money supply of fiat currency. Two if they aggressively start bidding up uh, Bitcoin, then um, like people will realize this, buying a lot of Bitcoin is really, really difficult. Like you need to understand that like 12 million Bitcoins are like held. They are not circulating on exchanges. They're not being actively moved. And so that means that like Bitcoin in the grand scheme of things is very illiquid. Um, Buying a lot of it, you're inevitably going to move the price. OTC desks are definitely going to catch up to this massive operation that's happening. Such Such an information is like it's impossible to do something like this without at least in, involving fifty or more people. Um, and once this news spreads out, the price of Bitcoin will just go vertical, like in 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 the course of days. And essentially, even if they buy some Bitcoin, buying every subsequent Bitcoin that they buy is going to be more and more expensive. And like I like just like on the back of a napkin, like if you do some of the mathematics, they won't really be able to buy more than. Three or four percent of it at most, and even if they do that, like the price is gonna skyrocket. So um, it's 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 really really tough. And like hardcore Bitcoin whales and hodlers know that something like that is possible, and that's precisely why like people who are already very very rich in the space and like really ideologically committed to it, they they don't trade and sell uh, in the cycles anymore. They they just hold, and they encourage other people like them to hold as well. And that's why like. 50 or 60% of Bitcoin is just like held. And like, if that's true, then it's like impossible to buy a big enough chunk to really um, like influence Bitcoin. Not to mention the fact that Bitcoin's governance isn't run by the stakeholders. It's run by the people who uh, like run the nodes and the people who decide to run the full node software. So it's really more about the users and like the swarm of nodes, so to speak, rather than like the owners. Like. It, Somebody can buy 10% of the supply, but they, yeah, maybe they could uh, manipulate the prices a little bit in the short term, although that would be an expensive operation, but they wouldn't be able to change Bitcoin itself. Yeah, Caitlin Long and I talked about
0: this a few months back, uh, right after the backed announcement was uh, in regards to some of the questions that people had, uh, you know, with Wall Street getting in and, and large institutional firms, would they be able to, you know, get such a large control of the Bitcoin supply in the market, that they would be able to swing it, whatever they would want, you know, and essentially negate uh, the the influence of the early community, right? And and basically, what we were, what we talked about was that no, uh, exactly as you said, there, there's a large amount of hodlers that hold; they don't sell; they're not interested in and in trying to play the you know the short term annual cycles or whatever that we just experienced, um, and also the fact that I highly doubt that a firm um like fidelity is going to be running you know a thousand nodes they're probably going to be running a handful so their their ability to yep. actually influence the network is going to be extremely small i mean you might see some that branch out into mining or whatever cuz it'd be in their you know interest to have some sort of say in a network where they have uh, a bunch of money invested but i highly doubt they're going to invest that much money into it to really have any sort of a say so it's it's a it, it it is it, it, you know it, it's a it's a feature uh and, and it's not a bug in the system but going back you know in in deeper into the economics now we hear um and I've done a couple episodes with Jeffrey Tucker and um and Robert Murphy both uh Austrian economists uh so the, the you know, people who've listened should be somewhat aware at least of of what uh, uh the Austrian economic view is but Watching, or I should say, reading and listening to Jimmy's song, you hear a lot of uh, the, the term "crypto Keynesians" when he refers to usually people that are proponents of on-chain scaling, Bitcoin Cash. Um, so, to you, what is the difference between someone who would be a crypto Austrian and a crypto Keynesian?
1: I, I actually think that the, the way G, the way Jimmy Song uses these terms aren't exactly correct. But anyways, I'm fine to I'm, I'm fine to entertain like this exact way he uses them. Um, crypto Austrians prioritize the store value functionality of money, uh, first and foremost. While I, I would imagine that the, the metaphor that he's making is that like in, in, in Keynesian econ, um, like spending money and consumption matters the most. And so uh, like people like in Bitcoin Cash and Litecoin and Nano and other of these like sort of low fee, high speed coins they believe that like it needs to be used as cash i think those people are so misguided when it comes to monetary econ i i, I cannot even enough to I, I cannot even start like expressing my um expressing their confusion honestly uh, i think that people prefer their day to day cash ie their day to day medium of exchange to be relatively price stable to be uh, to have low volatility and to have high liquidity and high salability uh none of the cryptocurrencies right now are good as medium of exchange because they're super small uh, in the grand scheme of things they're illiquid and they're volatile um for 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 bitcoin uh, or any other cryptocurrency to become usable as day-to-day cash um it needs to become once again uh more stable and more liquid and for that to happen uh it simply needs to be bigger we need trillion dollar market caps and now in order to get to trillion dollar market caps uh, these assets need to be first uh, utilized as that's why i started the conversation with like precious stones or or like digital gold and if 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 this asset is used as a store of value consistently and continuously then it can uh, see inflows of wealth by large investors thereby pushing the price up and the bigger bitcoin becomes the more usable it will become as cash. Not to mention the fact that, in my opinion, spending Bitcoin today um, or buying coffee with it or anything like that is, in my mind, the most irrational, uh, clueless thing you can do because nobody wants to be the pizza boy. Spending Bitcoin right now is like spending a Google stock at Starbucks in 2001. It just makes no sense at all. Why would somebody spend something that can still go 300, 500 X. So however, once Bitcoin does get bigger, the potential gains that are left ahead are reduced. So this incentives to spend are also going to be reduced. And once Bitcoin is going to be the size of gold or even bigger, then obviously there won't be that 200 X opportunity left ahead. There will only be two X or three X or four X left. And at that point, I think, Uh, people will start spending it mm, with less regret and uh, it will also be more liquid and more stable and much more usable, conveniently usable as cash. So to me, it's so obvious that store of value needs to be prioritized at this point in time, first and foremost. And uh, once it saturates itself as a store of value, then uh, these assets can potentially uh, evolve into a medium of exchange and later down the line unit of account as well.
0: Hey, I hope that you are enjoying listening to this episode as much as we did recording it. I don't have any sponsorships, so I'd really appreciate it if you go over to iTunes, rate and review it, five stars if you think I'm worthy of it, or wherever you're listening to the podcast right now. Um, If you could also go to our Twitter, our Facebook, our Instagram, you know, any of the social media pages that we have, like and share them. It really helps spread the word. So once again, thanks for listening and enjoy the rest of the show. Now, as far as for um, the argument from the on-chain scaling people, or I should say, because they prioritize medium exchange, right? So on-chain scaling in the short term would make more sense for that. So for them, a lot of that argument has to do with uh, one, either, or it could be a, mix of, a mixture of these uh, uh, both these arguments: is that um, either second uh, second layer, uh, you know, such as the Lightning Network is not going to work or can't scale um and or what do we do for people in the third world um right now right where where we have this opportunity we have the technology for it right the robocop reference um why should we be waiting for this you know 5 10 20 year period when when right now if we did an on-chain scaling it would work because let's just say for the sake of argument they're right second layer doesn't work um or it won't work for a very long time. What what would be, I guess, uh, what's this go to? It it doesn't work, right? It it can't scale. It runs into a major issue. It can't scale. Uh, and Light network never comes to fruition. What would be coming from your point of view, um, the the fix for a medium of exchange? Would it be some sort of side chain um, tokenization where where there's no friction within the system, or or some other fix?
1: Yeah. So. Even if Bitcoin doesn't uh, scale with, like with the Lightning Network, which I think it does, because the amount of like growth, the amount of work and growth that's happening on the uh, Lightning Network right now is like very very huge. But um, I have no doubts that it, that will work. Now, but even if it doesn't, uh, Bitcoin is still useful as a uh, as a money and as a base money uh, reserve asset and as a settlement mechanism of uh, large transactions and even if you um read like uh, the bitcoin standard by Satine amous he like he deliberately like doesn't even talk about lightning network too much just to see what bitcoin can become in the sort of worst case scenario and in the worst case scenario uh you could have sort of um on-chain bitcoin be used by hundreds if not thousands of large financial institutions around the world as a settlement mechanism And then people would either use um, like centralized services to send Bitcoin, smaller amounts of Bitcoin to each other, or they would use something like sidechains or um, essentially people um, like these institutions would issue like Bitcoin notes. And then uh, just like very similarly to a gold standard. Of course, uh, having a purely decentralized payment system like the Lightning Network would be much, much better. But even if that doesn't come to fruition, Bitcoin could still become a trillion dollar asset in its own right based of its other advantages.
0: So, do you think that there's? Uh, you mentioned a little bit earlier that uh, you you kind of believe that there would be, you know, one of three or four coins, right, that kind of survives the current. Gosh, I I I stopped looking a long time ago. How many there actually were um, out there? But is there any room for um, other currencies to compete with Bitcoin in the long run? Something like a Dash, something like a Zcash or Monero. Um, and and also as a side question, what's your thoughts on privacy? Is that something that should exist in something like Monero? Or do you think that privacy should be uh, implemented into the Bitcoin protocol itself?
1: Yeah, so um, I think ultra maximalists might be correct. In like maybe like 100 years from now, there will only be one money. However, I still think like for the foreseeable future, like the next 20, 25 years, there'll probably be three or four coins um that like that play this like money role um i am not very bullish on privacy coins at the moment i think that privacy alone is not enough to compete with bitcoin if you essentially draw uh, write out a list of top 20 criteria that matter for a store of value um you and and then compare zcash and monero to bitcoin you can say sure uh, Zcash and Monero are superior to Bitcoin in one of those 20, which is like the privacy and the fungibility. However, Bitcoin is just so much far ahead in the remaining 19 that it just like becomes a very uphill battle. And I have very strong doubts whether if privacy alone can uh, cause a deep monetary premium to occur uh, to accrue to a separate currency. And even if that does happen, uh, I expect that monetary premium to be very, very small. Uh, I actually, I, but but nevertheless, I do think there will probably be two or three chains that um, act as money and, and have the store of value properties uh, for the foreseeable future. Uh, as I've said, I, I think Decred, it, I, I'm more bullish on Decred than I am on privacy coins because it differentiates um, not just on one thing, but at, at like seven or eight things at the same time. And um, it, it's like the way it's structured is if the incoming investors um decide to diversify because um I mean there's an there's a big argument whether you should be diversifying in like the money sub sub niche at all but I I think they will diversify and I think money at the end of the day store of value is about on a psychoanalytic level it's about anxiety reduction and holding like three or four store of value candidates rather than just one, uh, just reduces investors' anxieties. And I think that uh, Decred is poised to become like a true silver to Bitcoin's gold. I never considered Litecoin to be a silver to Bitcoin's gold because um, divisibility is not a problem in the uh, software realm. So you need to be looking for other characteristics that differentiate against Bitcoin. And I think that uh, Decred Mm -hmm. is very smart because the three or four things that it differentiates Is arguable. So here's the thing, right? If it's hard to compete against Bitcoin on technology alone, because if the technology is really proves itself over the coming years to be really, really that good and safe and secure, then at the end of the day, these are open source softwares, and if there's community demand, then and there's community consensus, then any advantageous technology of like coin number seven can be added into Bitcoin. And what happens to that coin after that? Like it loses its entire value proposition. So um, I really like Decred because it differentiates itself uh, a- along certain uh, verticals that are uh, that probably Bitcoin will never adapt. So it has on-chain governance, which is a completely different paradigm on how to like run chains. It has hybrid proof of work, proof of stake, which uh, according to some can actually be more secure because like an attacker would need to not only get 51% of hardware, they would also need to get 51% of the coins, which like when you multiply those probabilities together, it it comes down to like 12 times more expensive to attack, assuming the same market cap, right? Um, And uh, also it has like 10% of the block reward goes to the treasury, which is going to make it very sustainable. If Decred, say, goes 100x from here, it's going to be just such an extremely wealthy chain. They'll be able to hire anybody, spend on anything, buy anything, and that that's just gonna go a very very long way. And I think it's also, um, and like also, it's, um, Decred has something that a lot of people don't know. Uh, like it's essentially unforkable. Like it's it's very fork resistant. So contentious forks and chain splits like Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin Gold, etc., they are impossible on, uh, on Decred because essentially if the stakeholders haven't approved like that fork, like then it just it just doesn't doesn't keep going forward or, or it becomes extremely expensive to maintain. And so um, I think like all these characteristics that I described, especially like hyper security and um, unforkability, they're going to be very, very palatable to institutional investors as well as to retail investors that like start to delve deeper. I think Decred is a hidden monster um it's it's like quite over undervalued right now and and i'm very excited about it
0: It, it, you mentioned litecoin there and i've been trying to find somebody from that community to come on to to explain because my issue now is uh i have got a soft spot for it because that's when, when i started to get involved in crypto like i started mining litecoin was the first thing that i did because asics had already come on board and i just bought a bunch of gpus right and 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 so I do have that that kind of um, nostalgic soft spot, but I I still can't figure out what the the use case is because Litecoin's pretty much lockstep with with Bitcoin. Um, they they you know have gone with you know we're going to do a Lightning Network on Litecoin just like Bitcoin is. And my question is, if Litecoin works, Litecoin come or uh, Lightning Network works, it comes online on Bitcoin, comes online in Litecoin. What's the use case? Why would I even use Litecoin? Because the fees are just going to be just as cheap on Bitcoin as they are in Litecoin, and the only advantage of using Litecoin Lightning Network is the day that I want to close the channel, it's going to it's going to what? It's going to be maybe a cheaper fee, and it's going to um, be what a, qu- uh, a quarter of the time faster, or uh, it's going to it's going to um, um, uh, be included in the block, you know, in a quarter of the time. I, I don't see a use case for Litecoin at all anymore.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Litecoin is like essentially worthless at the moment uh, because uh, you're precisely correct. Uh, Lightning network makes like half the other cryptocurrencies in existence uh, become instantly worthless.
0: Yeah, because a lot of these ones are based around the idea of like, well, you know, our confirmation times are faster or we have lower fees or whatever. And if the second layer works, and Lightning Network comes online and and you are doing most of your, I guess, if, if you want to say, you know, when you're doing like the daily transactions or whatever, you know, you can actually buy that if you want to, that coffee through Lightning Network, your fees are going to be low and you can essentially keep Lightning Network as almost your hot wallet um, on, on there. And you don't ever really need to settle it until you do you really want to or you want to get that money off there or whatever it may be but I don't see the use case like you said for a lot of these coins that are boasting lower fees and and faster confirmation times Uh, it just I still haven't figured out and I'm guessing some people have have surmised I I, I can't say I know uh, Charlie's mindset but maybe knowing his own roadmap where that's going to lead maybe that's why he got out I don't know. But I'm still open, if anybody listening uh, is is in the Litecoin community, more than welcome to talk about what this use case is, but I was, so
1: far I can't find it. Yeah, I mean, it's a glorified testnet, essentially. And it uh, one of the things I, w- I wanted to ask you about
0: was um, a while ago, I guess it wasn't that long ago that you were on the uh, Noted podcast uh, with Pierre and, and Michael, um, but I, I really liked that quote that you had, or I shouldn't say quote, because it was your own words, but that the fact that you were never really that enamored with gold, um, because the, really the the thesis of gold bugs and and people who uh, propose gold as a sound money, which prior to Bitcoin, I you know I understand, I was kind of one of those people as well, but it was all based around well, this is going to be adopted, you know, once. You know the world currencies crash and there's pandemonium and and anarchy in the absolute worst sense of the word, not in the truest sense of the word as an ideology, but in the in the adjective sense of the word. And that's when people are going to turn back to sound money. So you know, just buy gold and wait for the whole world to start burning, and then we'll be proven right. Where uh, you, you said that Bitcoin is is more centered around an optimistic future. If you if you wanted to go into into detail about that,
1: yeah so um bitcoin doesn't need the world to collapse for it to succeed i think definitely certain inflationary pressures would accelerate bitcoin adoption but in general um there could be a peaceful transition because um bitcoin is simply a superior product to fiat in every way imaginable so um it can i I believe bitcoin can leak or sorry rather fiat can leak a value, And Bitcoin can absorb value even during peacetime. Now, um, the reason I was never enamored with gold, uh, even all this apocalyptic doom and gloom stuff aside, is just like it, gold lost to fiat. And our hope with Bitcoin is that it can win where gold could not. Gold has a tremendous amount of, uh, gold has a huge weakness in the sense that it is physical. It, is a, it, it exists in reality, so to speak. Uh, and it's its physical tangible nature make it susceptible to something that we call a the centralization in volts problem and what often happens is gold ends up in just in a very small handful of central banks and commercial banks vaults. Nobody can really know how much there is how much there isn't, unlike the bitcoin blockchain where essentially which gets audited every ten minutes now um. It, because because of all this asymmetry of information and its physical nature being in in, in vaults uh it, it it lends itself to a lot of sort of uh the like the derivatives the futures the etfs the all, all, all the paper paper gold that I'm sure you and Caitlin gold and 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 other people have have talked about extensively but um I believe that bitcoin is going to be less susceptible to these kinds of Um, excessive financialization issues, uh, the excessive sort of fractional reserve issues, but on an even more fundamental level. Can you take a billion dollars worth of gold through an airport? No, you can't. Can you send uh, $10 billion worth of gold from Brazil to Siberia in 10 minutes? No, you can't. Um, And like gold is also harder to verify. But more importantly, gold has higher inflation than bitcoin. Gold's inflation is at 1.7% per year average over the last 20 years, while bitcoin's inflation is going lower and lower every year and soon it will be essentially negligible. Um and this fact uh just like essentially bitcoin is superior to gold in every way possible except time and except tradition and history that it, and the, the place that it's found itself in people's minds. Uh gold has that power that it's been money for 6000 years. Of course that's not going to go away overnight. But like in terms of like technologically speaking and utility wise, bitcoin is like it's it's a 10x improvement. So I believe that bitcoin is actually going to absorb a lot of the monetary premium that currently exists inside gold.
0: Now, uh Hayek you know, he was a proponent of denationalized private currencies. And uh, Rothbard, on the other hand, was very much opposed to this idea. Um, You know, in his mind, the issue was basically that if you had private banks issuing private currencies of their own, uh, there wasn't much to stop them from printing off their own, Um, just because their private bank doesn't make them any less susceptible to the same, you know, whims that a central bank wouldn't be. But Bitcoin seems to be kind of You know, with Hayek living at the time that he did would have had no idea that this was possible. But although it's not from a bank, um, it's it seems to be exactly what he was thinking of a privately issued currency. And does Bitcoin, do you think, prove Hayek correct and Rothbard wrong? Or is this just more of a case of in advance, you know, neither of them could have really anticipated this or do? Do you like what? What is your what is your thoughts on on both those gentlemen and, and their and their uh, feelings on private currency?
1: Yeah, I think I actually think a Bitcoin is closer to Rothbard's vision than it is to Hayek's. Okay, uh, in the Hayek's in the Hayek's in the Hayek's vision, essentially, uh, like you would have banks issuing private currencies, and but those like those currencies would be either backed or redeemable by gold or another precious commodity. Now, uh, Bitcoin is not those private currencies that banks uh, issue. In Hayek's case, Bitcoin is the precious commodity itself. So, um, in that sense, Bitcoin isn't competing to become a currency as much as it is competing to become, I- in an even grander sense, base money like that base. It- it's competing. It-, it is the gold in all those in all those um, in all those frameworks. Bitcoin is the gold itself. Uh, a lot of newcomers ask me, oh, but what, what is Bitcoin backed by? Or is the US dollar backed by gold? Or but what is Bitcoin backed by? It's not backed by anything. Well, I ask them, well, what is gold backed by? And if you really delve deep into monetary economics, you realize that gold has been chosen as money because it like inflates the slowest. And people want to park their wealth in an object which is hardest to inflate you know i'm sure you've heard with uh i'm sure you've heard from safety or from others stories where uh africans that haven't traveled the world uh they used beads as their local currency now that was fine because beads were Mm -hmm. scarce in africa or in their local parts of, of africa but uh the europeans used silver as money and they noticed noticed that uh beads have a monetary premium there and so what they've done is they've traveled back to Europe uh produced huge amounts of uh, these exact kind of beads very very cheaply because they had superior technology then they returned to Africa and essentially in the span of a couple of weeks hyperinflated entire villages and essentially bought everything that they've had and um like gold survived in this sort of game theoretic evolutionary sense, after countless uh, periods and countless tribes experimented with all kinds of money, essentially the tribes that used gold as money succeeded because no enemy could come uh, and do what what Europeans did in, in my story. And, or, or rather, it, it is hardest to do that with gold. And Bitcoin essentially takes that into overdrive and it's even harder. Um, essentially, Bitcoin is gold on steroids that you can send across the world very quickly.
0: Now, to get further into the Austrian weeds again, and I do this quite quite frequently, but um, it's probably like the fourth episode where I've talked about Mises' regression theorem. But I, I've had uh, uh, multiple guests have different opinions on whether or not Bitcoin meets the regression theorem of money, uh, whether, it, you know, because... By, by the definition was that it was it needed to be a commodity, something of value prior to becoming um, a, a currency, right and and there's one theory that says, well this was in a mistranslation that it his um, original translation was money uh, or commodity or service. And that you could argue that the blockchain itself provided the service prior to it being considered a money before the, you know, the pizza purchase or whatever. Uh, Other people said uh, that it's, you know, it meets the definition um, or that it doesn't matter what it that definition was right. That this is kind of a whole new thing that Mises never could have heard or thought of. What is your opinion on this? Does it meet the regression theorem? If it does or doesn't, does it even really matter at this point? Is it something new that uh, we should be adding into the regression theorem ourselves?
1: Yeah. So there is um, there's like five, four or five things I can say on this topic, and that's a really really good question. Uh, but like at 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 its at its core is like once Bitcoin or has a market price and is kind of used as money already, it doesn't matter because it's already there, you know? Uh, but this is something that's widely discussed in, by Austrians in the space. There are generally two views here. Oh, first of all, regarding like what Bitcoin is in general, some people consider it a synthetic commodity money, which is like trying to create something like gold in the digital world. Uh, and it's m- non-monetary use is like a token slash fuel to operate the Bitcoin uh payment network or to operate the Bitcoin timestamping service, right? Uh or Bitcoin is a quasi-community fiat money and there is like no non-monetary use at all. And it's in that sense, it's just like government money, but it's like competitive and it's much stricter. To me personally, the semantics don't matter. What matters is that Bitcoin is hard sound money irrespective of like categories. And uh, I guess like for more digging into this exact question, I recommend like Robert Murphy's lecture at like Bitcoin Texas conference. I believe that was 2014 or 2015. And it it discusses whether Bitcoin uh, does or does not challenge the Mises regression theorem. Um, Some have said that we can consider the psychosocial early use uh, among cryptographers as a collectible or as like an experimentation platform or whatever, to be a form of non-monetary use. So in that sense, Bitcoin very early on could be kind of like a crypto kitty. You know what I mean? Uh, The others have argued that like the the barrier doesn't matter. As I've said, what matters is that BTC went from zero to one cent. And once once it has a global trading price above like one cent, all the qualms above are sold and don't matter, and monetization had already begun. Doesn't matter how, doesn't matter why, it's already monetizing, right? My latest view on the issue is either that regression theorem isn't violated, if you twist it to include like the psychological, the psychosocial collectible uses, or it doesn't even matter um, at all, even if the cornerstone of Austrian monetary thinking, uh, partially because like those guys back then couldn't sort of imagine the digital realm and the digital items and how things could like how intangible commodities could behave. Um, in any case, gold's early ornamental use by a rich merchant's wife or by a tribal chieftain's wife as jewelry uh, is very similar to me how coders used Bitcoin in 2009 for essentially like fun purposes or for studying purposes. Th- those are very similar to me. Um, and. Also, like my latest thinking is that it doesn't matter if something is physical or intangible, a commodity or just paper. After all, money is a ledger. Uh, even gold is a, is, is, is a form of a le- global ledger. And what really matters is what I call trust, reliability, and assurances. And I, I call the following sort of the assurances theory of money. Uh, all sets of objects, ledgers, and systems, tangible or intangible, digital or physical, permissioned or permissionless, are, as we, as we say and as we speak, uh, are in a slow competition with one another who can perform the following assurances better. And these assurances are assurances that your money won't be diluted, assurances that your important global transactions won't be stopped, assurances that your wealth cannot be seized or frozen, assurances that the global ledger of balances and transactions is secure and immutable. These are the core value propositions. Semantics don't matter to me. All objects, all software, all hardware is competing to do these four things best. And whoever does these four things best will win. And so it's all about money system trustworthiness and perceived reliability. Now, uh, some of the... Kind of
0: moving back into the analytics or, or, or looking into the future, one of the theses of, of some people, I should say, in the space, and I think it's more of a dose of hopium than anything else, you know, it's, it's along the lines of uh, institutional money's coming, but that, well, you know, when we get the next recession, when we get the next 2008 crisis, uh, that's when everybody's going to um, jump into Bitcoin. Uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts on it. I don't agree. I think that most of the money uh, that's in this space right now, um, at least when when you look at it uh, in the change from 2016 to even right now, even with the downturn, a lot of this money is speculative. And I don't see a lot of those people, uh, um, at least when we're talking about price, right? We're not talking about actual you know, amount of Bitcoin being held is mostly speculative. But uh, as far as the price going up is what they're talking about, is that most of these people that are in here that are speculative, once the recession hits, they're going to be selling that money off, um, just like they're going to be panic selling their stocks. Uh, I'm open to being wrong, but I was,
1: I was wondering what your thoughts were on that. Um, I think if, if we see something like 2008, Bitcoin is not going to do very well. I myself expect a recession sometime in the next two, three years. And um, I think if it's a deflationary recession where like value is destroyed, value in securities is destroyed around the world, um, it's like essentially a stock market collapse, then Bitcoin is not going to do so well because like most people and even most like participants in the crypto ecosystem aren't as passionate about Bitcoin or don't really like understand it to such a great depth as some of like the dedicated Bitcoiners, right? And so they're just going to sell it because let's be honest, like to most people, these are still highly risky assets, almost like like they're, they're essentially like options and um, very, very speculative, very, very risky. Um, not the infrastructure, to be honest, isn't isn't quite there yet to accept like it as a safe haven asset that will need at least two or three more Of these boom and bust cycles and bubbles for it to get to that stage both in terms of size as well as infrastructural and technological development but if we see some kind of an inflationary recession or a credit crisis or a sovereign crisis or central bank defaults or government defaults then bitcoin i think even at such a current small size could see inflows as an alternative yeah, it will be really
0: interesting to see um, over the next few years because, you know, I have been surprised before, uh, but, but I highly doubt that, yeah, that, that, that thesis of we are going to. And if to jump back into what, what you're talking about with uh, getting greater liquidity, I'll, I'll put a, a um, link to in the show notes as well on your Twitter account. You have a really great um, um, chart here, the passage of Time Lindy effect and kind of showing where we are. And, uh, and, and the future moves as it moves towards their stock, reliable store of value, widespread medium of exchange and all the steps, you know, in, involved in there. And I, I really like that chart and it'll, it'll be really interesting to see how, how it works. And it, it's funny also, cause I can already see the headlines, right? As the stock market's collapsing and as Bitcoin price collapses as well, along with it, that the same headlines that we saw in 2013 that we're seeing today, right? Is Bitcoin dead, Bitcoin's dying, um, are going to be, you know, th- those those death articles get recycled constantly. I'm so laughing because I see these getting passed around right now. Uh, I think in Bloomberg Crypto, um, along with some others are, are passing those along. And anybody that's kind of been around, like, you know, you and I both seen the articles that were around in 2013 It ran up to a thousand. And then once it dumped down to, I don't know, what was it? $200 or so after Mt. Gox, um, it was uh, the same articles, you know, Bitcoin's dead you know it was, it was a neat idea and it keeps on coming back which it, it it's it's funny because i guess the detractors either don't care or uh, are just not aware of history i think it's more the latter than anything else
1: yeah um i agree and i would also say that um i mean money is about like cognitive aspects right It's about perceived trust. Unfortunately, Bitcoin A, like less than probably half percent of the world is like into it. And it's also admittedly kind of complicated to understand, like it takes many months to understand exactly what's going on. Um, And once again, the UX is like still quite hard, like we need companies to build much easier lightning solutions, much easier wallet solutions, much easier custody solutions just like so that we would have the same exact ux that we have with venmo and paypal right now just with bitcoin being in the yep. back end and, and until we are at that point in time um it's not going to be like like that go-to for people but that doesn't mean that bitcoin's price can grow um uh, like in the meantime i think it will and i agree with you in terms of these headlines bitcoin will probably have a hundred thirty thousand blow off top in 2023 and then drop to Thirty-five thousand in 2025, and uh, Bloomberg will probably uh, proclaim that Bitcoin is dead at thirty-five thousand. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's it, it, it's it's you bring up the UX
0: and UI, and I think that's one of the bigger issues because understanding the the economics behind it is, uh, I I think one of the hardest things, just as an education issue, uh, because it's the most important thing of it, right? That that's actually what makes it more than just disney dollars and and what actually makes it valuable and be and will become more valuable in the future and i think that trying to teach people uh economics is is always been one of the shortcomings of anybody outside of the i mean like even the keynesian school it's not like they go into depth they just kind of give very easy talking points of like oh you know when when the, you know when everything's going bad we'll just have the government run deficits and you know we'll buy up a bunch of assets and then you know once they lay you know uh, go out then we'll just tax rich people and then we'll be back to normal and, and so it's really easy talking points compared to when you're talking about the austrian theory and, and you have to kind of really spend a lot of time and even with austrian economics even with bitcoin and and the amount of time that I've spent over the years reading on it and trying to understand it better I still don't understand most of it but I I think really where you see adoption really grow. Always been my opinion is that when you make it easy for the average person, you know, you make it as easy as, you know, like when we talk about crypto keys, but making it easy as Flappy Bird, right? Or Venmo or Cash App where you download it and and you don't have to think about it. And it's clean. It's it's um, when, when things look nice and they're very simple to use, people, whether right or wrong, put more trust in it. And I think to, to me... Um, I think one of the, the issues we have in this space, and I could be totally off with this, is that I think a lot of the design, a lot of the companies are run by people that are engineers. And my experience with engineers in any discipline, whether it's civil engineering or whatever, they don't have a real good grasp of consumer demand and, and understanding of consumer trends and what the average person wants in something they're far more concerned and rightly so that's their, that's their job to make sure everything down to the smallest minute detail works where they don't really, you know, they'll look at, they'll make a, you know, like an interface on something that has everything you'd need, but it's highly not intuitive. It has every button you need on there for every possible thing that you'd use for that thing. But I, I don't know if that's, if, if you agree with that, that we need, maybe a little bit more attention to consumer UX and UI, but I think that the engineer mindset is bled over a little bit into that. And that's one of the problems that we have.
1: Right, no, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you there, but I, I'm i very optimistic that all these sort of uh, UI, UX issues will uh, be consistently improved. And we're already seeing that with some of the products uh, like Casa Hotel and like Pierre Shard working on some lightning stuff and like easier custody uh, easier hardware wallet software, etc it's, it's it's improving, but it, it, it will take a decade but we're getting mm-hmm. there and yeah. Bitcoin can, can be growing bigger in the meantime as well.
0: Yeah, I, I really I've, I've been wanting to get my hands on one of those uh, lightning notes just to try it out because I think that's that's where it's at where it's you know you, you plug and play and and, and the, the easier that you can make it for someone to just plug something in, and, you know, just like you would any other app, I think uh, I, I think is where we're going. But um, I don't want to hold you on or, or hold you here for for for, uh, for too long. We've been going for a while. We had a little bit of technical issues at the beginning on my end. But um, I, I really uh, appreciate you, you know, coming on. It was a great conversation. I really did enjoy it. Uh, where, uh, you know, before we leave, you know, what are you up to these days? And, and where
1: can people find you? Yeah, I'm currently, I'm, I'm raising a, a crypto fund. Yeah, I'll probably be launching it early 2019. Um, I think that will be a very, very good time. I'm really happy that unlike some of my college friends and some of my old work friends, instead of starting a fund in January 2018, which didn't turn out so well for some of them, I, I will be starting one at like the bloodiest of the bloody times. And I think a lot of quality um, crypto assets will be able to be purchased to like very, very cheaply um, because both prices overshoot in both uh euphoria as well as a panic and yeah i'm very excited about that uh and in terms of where people could find me always find me on twitter at must stop murat. and i will have uh, all the
0: contact stuff uh as well as uh, all the things that we mentioned in the show notes at the website at did you know crypto.com and you'll find that in all the social media links and once again murat
1: thank you very much for coming on thank you i appreciate the invite